Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Greetings, good evening, ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to the Exceptional Scribble Show. I am your host, Sage, the Page Poet. That is my signature. And for tonight, we have an awesome show. Very, 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 very I'm going to call it a riveting and epic two-hour special edition. And it begins starting now. And before the arrival of our special guest, who will be in the spotlight tonight, I'm going to brief you on what to expect from tonight's broadcast. For those tuning in, you are now tuned in to episode 278 of The Exceptional Scribble Show. And from now till about 10.15, you are engaging in what we refer to or call as the Exceptional exclusive interview segment of the Exceptional Scribbles show. And again, I must reiterate for tonight, tonight's episode is riveting and epic. This is historic, what you're about to experience on this show tonight. We have never, ever had such a guest with such an amazing story to tell. So let me brief you in. Our topic tonight is the death of Anis D. or Anis Davis, Jr. He is a former NFL player. And the cold case pertaining to his death and murder 
has now been reopened. Not reopened as of today. It has been reopened in the past few years. But a lot of astounding evidence has newly surfaced, which makes this case one of interest to most all, especially anyone in the investigative unit within law enforcement. And I want to also add that on tonight, in the spotlight, we have with us published author Anissa Davis Jackson, and she will be discussing her book entitled Memoirs of a Broken Side. And I'm going to share with you some details about this particular book and the author. Bear with me for a second. I'm making sure our sound for tonight's broadcast is nothing less than good quality. We had a few hiccups last week and it did interfere with the recording. So we're making up for what we did not have the privilege of experiencing last week. You are privileged tonight to experience the full two-hour special edition, non-interrupted, okay? And yes, I want to give a big hand to the technical support team of TalkShoe.com. This show comes to you live via the TalkShoe.com internet radio server. And you can always go online and visit www.talkshoe.com. And I would definitely urge you, if you have an interest in hosting your own podcast, to visit www.talkshoe.com and become a member of the family. Sign up. Open an account. It's as easy as that. And I guarantee you this. You won't regret it. I have been with TalkShoe now for five years. And yes, occasionally I experienced a couple of times when there were some mechanical errors or technical errors, but they were resolved. And I was able to come back on the next week and everything went smooth. So I will say if you submit by way of email uh, to the administrators any issues that you're having, if they are mechanical or technical, those issues are addressed promptly. So again, let me give a big hand to the TalkShoe.com administrators. They're doing a fine job and the technical support team. They're always on the job. Thank you. Thank you for your help.
could not have achieved 278 shows, episodes without you. We have been coming on this TalkShoe.com server live weekly on Tuesdays now for five years since 2014. So we have a little track record now. We're doing a marathon on TalkShoe and the marathon continues. We appreciate this opportunity. We're not abusing it. We are taking full advantage of having it to reach an audience of listeners whom we know want to hear wonderful things and they love hearing stories. So as a literary artist, as a writer and a published author and a freelance editorial journalist, it is my pleasure to bring to everyone tuned in nothing less than the finest that I can via publishing good news, interviewing great guests who have fantastic stories to tell. So let me begin about the author. And this is the special guest who will be in the spotlight this evening, whom I am honored and I have the privilege of interviewing. Anissa Davis Jackson is a Kansas City, Missouri native. She is the author and daughter of legendary football player Anise or Anis Davis Jr. of the University of Missouri and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And being a native-born Pennsylvanian, that's something to talk about, okay? Um, yes, Pittsburgh, one of the cities in the state of PA. Not the city that I am from, but it is definitely a neighboring city. Um, so this is what happened. And I'm going to be very discreet, brief, and straight to the point about this. Anissa exposes in her book entitled Memoirs of a Broken Side. Anis or Anis Davis, of course, being her father, Anissa became inspired by faith to write the novel. After being led on a spiritual journey, which revealed the true circumstances behind the death of her father, who was gunned down in the cold streets of Kansas City, Missouri on Christmas Eve year, 1987. And I'm going to give everyone a moment because, first of all, that's emotional, number one. Being a daughter and a daddy's girl, and I'm going to just put it out there like that. 
anything that happens to your father, it impacts you. So I am feeling right now the emotion. I am really feeling the emotion. And I'm going to say to everyone tuned in, it's time for us to heal. A lot of us have experienced early trauma. And this is one woman and her story of how early trauma, she was a young girl when this happened to her father, impacted her for life. But on the contrary, she did not let it destroy her. It came motivation for her to pursue achieving helping her father's legacy to be one that would not be tarnished, one that would be heralded and cherished and remembered and respected highly regarded for ages to come. So let me continue on. This is the abstract that I'm going to read to you now about the book. A man destined for greatness from a promising football career. Life was cut short due to his untimely murder on Christmas Eve, 1987. Broken by tragedy, a chain reaction of events emotionally and spiritually kept hold of his entire family. His children grew up not knowing the truth about his murder until a spiritual revelation was given to the middle daughter in which she discovers that the events in her life were all destined by a powerful divine design that would uncover and unveil a truth hidden under an ocean of lies, drowned with deception, witchcraft, and the corruption involving a wrongful conviction. As she walks into such purpose, it is revealed that her mission in life was to seek the true circumstances surrounding her father's death which led her to a spiritual journey, revealing the glory of the Most High, and at the same time, would be the healing for her entire family. Based on the true story and life of legendary University of Missouri and Pittsburgh Steelers football athlete, Ennis Davis Jr. Through his daughter's eyes, it is, and this is the title of her book, Memoirs, Memoirs of a Broken Side. 
And if you would like to purchase your copy today, for those who are able to, um, here's what I need you to do. Visit our, you can visit the event page on Facebook. And how you would do that, you would just type in the following. And I'm going to give you the title. Um, the death of Honest D, former NFL player, comma, code case reopened. If you type that in, it's going to take you right to our event page for October 8th, which is a Tuesday. Yes, 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 yes. Another terrific Tuesday. The Exceptional School Show is coming to you live via the TalkShoe.com server. Um, don't forget, you can join me in the chat room, and this is the link to the chat room. It will take you directly there. TalkShoe.com backslash studio backslash, and here are the numbers to follow the backslash, 749 I repeat, 749-3943, and that is the link. All you have to do is have the internet access, of course. Once you have internet access, in the search bar, you would type in talkshoe.com backslash studio backslash 749-3943, and it will take you directly to the page. I want to say to all, we are having a very special show tonight. This is not your average show. And once you join us tonight, you're going to experience having an opportunity to literally heal from whatever your past wounds are. Um, I do wanna say, cause sometimes we have hecklers that tend to go into our Chat room, and I'm in the chat room now, and I like to see what's being shared. I have shared a lot of information there, information pertaining to tonight's live broadcast, as well as information about the author and the abstract about the book. Why? Because, as you'll find as you scroll down, I've also included information about the books. The book is available, and I'm going to say the name of the book again. The book is entitled Memoirs of a Broken Side. Memoirs of a Broken Side. The book is available in two forms. It is available in paperback, and it is available in Kindle edition. And I have provided the links for both. I do see 
someone has come into the chat and they have posted a picture of President Trump <laughs> smiling. I'm not certain or sure as to why. And um, I will say this much. I'm going to reiterate what the topic of tonight's show is. So there's no mixed message or mixed messages or mixed miscommunication. Our show tonight has a topic. It is the death of Anis Davis Jr., a former NFL player whose cold case is reopened. And in this spotlight, we have published author Anissa Davis Jackson. She will be discussing her book entitled Memoirs of a Broken Side. And that is the information that I am sharing tonight. And I want for everyone to enjoy this experience. This is an experience. For you to cherish. No one should have nervousness. There should not be any disappointments here. We're just all trying to learn some details as to what went wrong that night. What actually did occur? Year 1987 on Christmas Eve. How did former NFL star and player Anis Davis Jr. fall victim to murder? Who is involved? And there's a mystery. We still don't know certain details. We still don't have all the facts. There is a lot surrounding the death. We need to know what really happened. And there's someone who has a strong conviction. She has had experiences she cannot explain that are paranormal and spiritual that have led her to her involvement in assisting with the actual discovery of who did it and why. It has been quite a journey for this woman. And Anissa Davis Jackson deserves to have closure in regards to the untimely death and murder of her father, pro NFL player, Anis Davis Jr. 
And what I will say is it is not speculation that rules here. It is evidence. And the evidence is astounding. A lot of it newly surfaced within the past five or so years. So what's happening now is the cold case has reopened. As for the death and murder of a nice Hannes <clears throat> Davis Jr. And what I want to share is a lot of times we become influenced because of the media. We need to learn to disallow the media. A chance to influence our thoughts. The media will influence you if you let the media influence you. Find, do fact finding, do your own fact checking, do the research, do the homework. And after you have done that, then you can make an educated, intelligent decision about what you choose to believe. Don't fall victim to propaganda influencing your thinking. So I urge everyone, the book again is entitled Memoirs of a Broken Side. It is currently available. You can purchase the book, paperback edition, or you can purchase the book in um, Kindle edition. It is now available on Amazon.com. And Anissa will be informing us very soon of when it becomes available in audible format. We need to know that too. It's nothing like having an amazing story well read to you. And you're the listener. You're subject to hearing it told, not just reading it yourself, but having someone to read to you, there's no better experience than that, especially when it's a well-written book. And there's so much to, to uh, absorb. This is a story that I'm telling you, this story is quite riveting and epic. From the beginning of the book to the middle and from the middle to the end, you will have no regrets in this story. So I wanna thank everyone 
I want to thank you for calling in. Um, I want to encourage those who are listeners. Don't allow what people are saying and what they are doing to influence your thoughts. You have the right. Something is not to your liking. You have the right to speak your truth and to address that. Whatever that is, you have that right. So I want to encourage everyone at this time, uh, bear with us. We are awaiting Anissa Davis-Jackson. She will be arriving uh, by way of phone. And thank you for all on the call at this time. Um, it will be soon. She will be joining us very soon. And be advised of this. Um, again, hecklers from time to time will try and either call in or uh, postings in the chat room. This is not a show that embraces um, disregard or disrespect towards our guests or in reference to any subject matter or content or show's topic and focus. And I want to say that to anyone that has the wrong idea about this particular talk radio show. If you are calling in as a guest, if you are calling in with the desire and interest to be on tonight's show, respectfully address the platform when the mic is open. Announce yourself, give us your name, tell us where you're calling from. We love to do roll call on this show. Let us know if you're calling from the Midwest, a state in the Midwest, if you're calling from the West Coast, let us know where you're calling from. And after which, if you have a question, a comment, or a remark, you are and will be invited to speak. So I'm just stating that now. I don't want anyone to have the wrong idea about how the show operates or functions. That is the order by which you are to conduct yourself. And it is cause, caller etiquette. And thank you for listening. This time I'm going to provide the call-in information. I wanna to say to everyone tuned in, you are tuned in to episode 278 of 
the exceptional scribble show and i am your host sage the page poet that is my signature at this time i'm going to provide you with call-in information to participate during the show here are the instructions to follow first dial in the call-in number which is area code 867-292-3066. I repeat, area code 867-292-3066. And when you're asked for the show's ID number, it is a six-digit number. That number is 133-193. I repeat, 133 one nine three and when you're asked for a pin number the pin number is one you're going to press the number one on your telephone or keyboard pad and then press the pounds key so when you're asked for a pin number press one and then press the pound key after which you will join the call and you'll hear a voice prompt that will say you have now joined the call. It will also let you know when your mic has been open. So those instructions, very key instructions, I hope you were able to write them down. And for those that are um, at your computer or if you have your electronic notebooks, keypad, no, um, iPads, what have you, you can join us by way of the internet link. And this is that link. You would visit the following link. It's talkshoe.com backslash the word studio, S-T-U-D-I-O backslash and it's a number that follows, and it's a seven-digit number, 749-3943. I repeat the number, 749-3943. That is the URL, online link. Visit there, and you can join the chat room. I have shared lots of information in the chat room. You will find information that gives a brief bio about the author. You will find the abstract about her book, which is entitled Memoirs of a Broken Sign. You will also see two links, which are links that you can visit to purchase her book. Uh, the first link is for the paperback copy or edition, and the second link is for the Kindle and you will see it lists which is which. And I do wanna say, I do not take responsibility for posting that portrait of President Trump that is in the chat room. There was a guest that came through and did that, and I don't have any access to remove it, so I'm not sure how they did it, but it's done in a way that's where I cannot go in and remove it. However, it is a nice picture, <laughs> portrait of President Trump and he's smiling. But I will say this much. Again, 
um, from time to time. We do experience things like that. People will either call in and make comments that have nothing to do with the topic. But for those that are really tuned in tonight, because you are interested in our topic, the topic is the depth of a Miss Honest <clears throat> Davis Jr., former NFL player, the death and murder. And now the cold case reopened. And the book that gives or lists all of those details, I'm talking about concrete evidence, the facts, which we don't already know. The majority of us don't. But we want to know. We have inquiring minds. And we desire to know what really happened and why. So without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, help me to present to all and to introduce to some and everyone listening our special guest in the spotlight tonight. We have published author, Anissa Davis Jackson, here to discuss her book entitled, Memoirs of a Broken Side. I am rolling the red carpet and turning the spotlight onto Anissa. Welcome, Anissa. Blessings, blessings to you all. Thank you for having me today. Um, well, um, you know, this is part two, so for those that were able to listen in on the first part um, a few weeks ago, I did give quite a bit of information concerning the book, um, so I believe that today we will more than likely go into more of the, the case information and how I um, actually came into this truth. But um, for those that did not listen in last, you know, the, the previous three weeks or so, I, I don't mind giving a brief um you know, description of, you know, the book and uh, where we're at with things for those that are just now tuning in on this. Uh, but Memoirs of a Broken Side is about a murder of, of my father who happened to be a former NFL football player who was murdered here in Kansas City in 1987 on Christmas Eve. Um, I was a little girl when it happened, and as I've mentioned before in times past, my father was very uh, much involved into my life. Uh, I'm the middle daughter. I was the one named after him. I do have other siblings. I've got um, two other sisters and two brothers as well. Um, however, you know, in 1987, everything just kind of moved so fast. You know, this was definitely um, something that was very tragic. My father was shot and killed, thrown in the back of an F-150 pickup truck, and that's all we knew. Um, police told us that my dad was dead upon arrival, and that was it. Um, this chapter of my life was supposed to have just been closed. Um but ironically, um, I sort of went through life um, naive to the fact that this actually did happen and that there was uh, proof that trauma was still there and it existed within me um, because I made a lot of mistakes, um, you know, just growing up, and I just made a lot of careless mistakes. And I was pretty much antisocial when it came to school, and I did have some emotional issues. And then come to find out, you know, the root cause was due to the murder of my dad. Um, and a lot of people don't understand that when you have a protective parent and they're stripped from you, um, that alone causes trauma. So that's pretty much what happened. My entire family has been broken by it. Um, everybody has just been stuck in 87. Well, ironically, 
Um, as I gotten older, you know, like I said, I, you know, was pretty restless, in and out of relationships with different men. Um, come to find out, you know, I realized that that definitely was a root key problem to my carelessness and the different um, toxic relationships that I had involved myself in. I was trying desperately uh, to, you know, replace that that unconditional love that I once had, which no one was ever able to provide that for me. So at the age of 27, I was sort of awakened by a spiritual presence um, that literally came before me as I was asleep. I woke up, and with three flashes, what appeared to be a radio wave, I see an image of my dad standing in front of me. Um, So it's very, very bizarre. You know, you you only hear about people seeing spirits. I had only heard about it. I never dealt with it myself until that very day. And then once I saw that, it's just like it was a game changer for me. Um, number one, my faith was questioning. I was questioning my faith. You know, um, you know, growing up Christian, it wasn't always accepted, you saying that you're seeing ghosts or whatnot. So I was just really confused at that time. However, um, I know that, you know, when God does something, you know, it's definitely for a reason. And I didn't know at that time that he was opening up a spiritual door that would lead me into spiritual truth, not just about the circumstances of my father, but just truth in general, uh, spirituality um, especially. So as I'm 27 years old, I'm being led to reopen up my father's uh, murder case. I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm getting a hunch. It's just out of the ordinary for me. Like, literally everything was bizarre, but I'm following strict instructions. Uh, I always knew that there was a man convicted. His name was Oscar T. Bay, and that's all I knew. You know, growing up, I was really angry with this man. Um, You know, I definitely hoped that one day he would die or someone would kill him. So I, I had a lot of anger in my heart for what had happened to my father, and that was the only name that I ever knew. So when I had inquired about the case, I, you know, I learned more about him. Um, I you know, I'm escorted down to the police station. They're willing to reopen it. Well, they're willing to willing to explain the case to me. And as I'm sitting there at the table, there's a, a burgundy file folder uh, with the case information. And as I was waiting for the detective to come in, I just sort of reached for the files. So as I'm going through the file, um, you know, everything was clearly not what I expected. I mean, it was talking about three men that apparently had drugged my father down the street, put him in the back of a truck. Never once did it mention this one individual who happened to be the only person convicted in this murder, and his name was Oscar T. Bay. So that really did raise a flag for me, raise a red flag for me. And as I read more about it, I'm learning that this was not just a random shooting as we thought, but this was more like a drug conspiracy situation where there's undercovers, Police are on the scene. There was like five trash bags of cocaine that was uh, compensated from the home um, in which my father was killed in front of, was shot in front of. You know, so I'm learning more that there was more going on at this particular time, Christmas Eve 1987. It wasn't just a random shooting, and that's all we knew, that this Oscar T. guy, Oscar T. Bay guy shot my father, put him in the back. The police found my dad. He was dead upon arrival. So as I'm reading through the the records, I'm learning that there's three other individuals. Um, in fact, their names are listed. So I started writing names down, and I was really, really intrigued. I was really scared. Um, I was angry. I had a, like a yep. tsunami emotions that came over me at that time. And so mm-hmm. as I was going through the records, the detective that I was supposed to meet that day, he came in. He immediately kind of... Um, frowned up at the fact that I had already began looking through the files. So what I had in my hand was like the original case files. Like that's not, he was probably going to, 
show me what he wanted me to see. But I ended up grabbing the folder and started my own investigation and looking through things. Apparently, I wasn't supposed to. So uh, when he comes in, he's pretty much, you know, he's he's, he's mean. Um, he's tapping his feet. He's rushing me. He doesn't under He keeps saying over and over again, "I don't know what you want." Um, your father was killed because he was a beggar. Oscar Turner Bay killed him because of it. And at that point, I truly knew that I was in the presence of the enemy, and I knew that he was not telling the truth. Um, another thing is that he kept trying to snatch the folders from me, and he was shuffling the papers up and putting them back in front of me. So what I did was go back to the forensic information where I had left off. Well, the forensic information talked about there were 13 cards of prints latent prints that were recovered from this vehicle. However, they were never processed. So that was something that really, you know, it's talking about them confiscating fingerprints, but none of them were, like, put through the system to be processed. They weren't, they didn't go through the necessary procedures for a full investigation. So that's, uh, you know, a few things just to name is what caught my attention. Yeah. So at that point, um, you know, I'm confused. There's three men that are listed here, but there's only one guy convicted. And these three men, the police, the 911 witness state that they are witnessing a guy being shot to death in the middle of the street, a 56th and Lydia. Um, there's a man standing over, a big man standing over him with two men along the side. Um, the guy had just came in from work, and he was watching the old show Dynasty. So this happened around around 11-ish, you know, um, around 11 o'clock that night. And he stated that he could he could see, but he couldn't see because the there was plastic over the window. His name was Richardson um, in the book. His last name is Richards. And so he couldn't see clearly because he had put plastic over the window sill. So what he did was that he relocated to another room where he was able to get a better view. And it was at that point that he saw two black males dragged the victim by the collar down the street. So there's a 24-foot drag mark all the way down the street where this pickup truck was ironically parked. Um, um, so question. Guess, um, a mindset. Mm -hmm. Question. What, yes. Could you give us, like, the physical uh, description of your father, like his, his weight at that time? His oh, yes. Sure. Please. He was 225. He was 225. Um, he was solid, muscle, um, you know, a lot of people make jokes about my dad. You could literally light a match to his abs. Um, he was a very strong individual. I mean, I, when right. I was a kid, I remember my dad picking up the front end of a car. Um, I thought that was very interesting. I'd never seen anything like that before. It was something that he would do as a trick to make us laugh, and he would actually pick up the front end, like, you know, like lift it. And so, you know, growing up, the strength was always there. Like, that was evident. So it was hard for me to believe that this 44-year-old man, because Oscar Turner Bay was 44 at the time, was able to shoot my father, drag him down the street, right. um, pack him into the back of a pickup truck, all within a four-minute time frame. And so, um, but what Richardson, uh, which was a 911 eyewitness, what he what he sees is like key information because he's actually on the phone and he's talking to dispatchers. You know, they're putting this guy in the back of this truck. There are two men. There's one to the side. Um, they are putting them back there. Hurry up and get here quick. Richardson looks back out the window, notices that the police pull up, and the three men were just linked up against the truck, not in a hurry to move or anything. 
So in the 911 transcript, Richardson is like, you know, you guys are here. They're out there talking to the men responsible. They're not doing anything. They're not even checking their truck, checking the truck. They're just, they just rolled their windows down, talking to the suspects. Now they're driving off. So that disturbed me. You know, yes. you got a full description of the vehicle. It's a white F-150 pickup truck with a camper shell. However, police roll up. They roll their windows down. They're talking to the three men responsible. Now, in the records, they state that they rolled the windows down and that the three men stated that there were four youths that had ran westbound up Lydia. But I don't believe that. I believe that they rolled the windows down and asked, you know, is the job done? You know, what's going on? You know, that kind of deal. Because they never got out of the, they never exited their patrol truck or their cars. None of them ever got out to even see if any signs of any shooting. Okay. So that was very bizarre. So the way that um, Turner Bay comes into the picture, because after I leave the police station, I've got a lot of questions. So I ended up, you know, sending him a letter. In about three or four days, Turner Bay writes back, and he states that I have to open my mind and heart and understand it wasn't, me, you know, wasn't him that murdered my father, and that the police were heavily involved, and that I need to understand that people were being killed all over the place in Kansas City in 1987. So he goes to tell me that. Um, the day that, you know, the, the night that it happened, he had parked his truck. He he curved it around the street, which was down the street from the this well-known safe house. It was, it was basically a drug safe house um, where we learned later that police were actually dropping off drugs, and then they would be distributed from this house. And we'll get into that in a minute, too. So he pulls his truck around. Um, because there, it's a busy street where he was actually at, which was a house at the corner house, not in front of the drug house, but he was at the corner house down at the corner. So he parks his car down, you know, he just kind of curves it around to get it off the main busy street. It was an 87, I'm sorry, his truck was an 86. This happened in 87. He stated that his truck was fairly new. He didn't want to take the chance of anyone sideswiping his vehicle. Purcell Boulevard is a very busy street in Kansas City, Missouri. So he parks his car, just kind of curves it over, gets out the car, and walks to the corner to his friend's, his buddy's house. So he had heard the shots, but he didn't look out. Number one, he says, because this, these things happen all the time around there. And then number two, he was already on parole. He couldn't be involved in any type of, you know, dealings with police. So he really just did, he disregarded it. He didn't think anything of it. He heard the shots, but never went out to see what was going on or anything. So a short time later, he goes to his vehicle. Um, he states that when he walks out his friend Pete's house, he notices an unmarked car at the end of the street. Um, if there was something wrong with him or anything suspicious, police could have taken him then, but they allowed him to get into the vehicle. He, he drives about five blocks up the street. He makes a left on Virginia, and then as he's on 59th in Virginia, all of a sudden helicopters and police cars and sirens are, t you know, requesting him for him to pull over. So at that point, he's like, you know, what the heck? You know, the, he, he says they don't even put him under arrest immediately. They go straight to the back bed of the truck. Um, they shine the lights on the back, and there my father was. That was the first time he had seen my dad that night. He didn't even know that he was in the back of the truck. When they pulled him out, he said my dad had been shot in the arm. So it was true. He had been shot in front of that house. However, you know, Oscar Turner Bay stated that my father was clearly alive, like he was talking to the police. Um, he had only been shot in the arm, and they kept pushing him back down to the ground. Then he noticed that they started removing all his clothes. 
So, you know, he, as he's explaining all this to me in this letter, you know, he's basically like, I, I know that this is going to hurt you, but I've waited for this day. You know, you know, Yah is definitely answering my prayers. You know, this is something that you have to understand. In order for you to, to seek truth and really to accept it, you have to open up your heart. But everything that he was telling me, ironically, I instantly already knew that it was the truth without even actually having the physical proof. But it's something that yeah. has always been a suspicion of mine. Like, I've always had a mistrust for police. You know, um, I never did drugs. I stayed away from drugs, alcohol, all of the above. You know, I, I was afraid of drug houses even growing up as a kid. You know, just certain things that um, have happened to me in my life and, you know, my some morals that I have is why I stay away from certain things, why I don't trust very many people. You know, because it's like spiritually someone has been like, guarding me and keeping me from falling into certain circles or you know if if I see tr if I smell trouble then 9 times out of 10 it is trouble so I have a real strong discernment so as he's telling me everything I got I know something's like he's telling the truth so, you know, of course I don't tell him that because all I know is that you're the person that killed my dad. Yeah, I want to go after these other three men, but I still have to clear – I have to figure you out first in order to right. see how innocent you truly are. Because, I, you know, for the life of me, I didn't understand why your par your car was parked there until I actually started doing the footwork. And it was true, a 24-foot drag mark all the way down the street, you know, things that the prosecution hid like they never brought in any of these pictures these drag marks all the way right down the street you know um they stated that this 44 pump action rifle was found on the floorboard of his vehicle but the um the records that i have don't have this 44 pump action rifle i've got pictures that don't have the rifle i've got pictures that have a rifle on the floor now the strange thing is that is that I could see how they were trying to, like, stage the weapon in different areas, and this is what I've learned, too, what they do to try to get convictions. They were trying to um, paint a picture. You know, they wasn't sure how they were going to position the gun, so you there's, there's pictures of the gun in the seat. There's pictures of the gun on the floor. Then there's pictures with no gun, you know, and then for the life of me, if someone actually shot a man and this gun is loaded, why would they put the barrel of the gun facing them? And so in this picture where Oscar Turner Bay's truck, this gun is like literally pointing to the driver. But it would make sense based off of what Richardson said. The killers were, you know, putting something in the, you know, whatever, putting the man in the back of the vehicle, basically trying to stage it, you know, throw it in there real quick or whatever, you know, what have you. And then when Turner Bay comes out to the car, then, okay, we've got a fall guy. So, you know, his whole, his whole truth that he gave me, was making a lot of sense. I didn't have the proof at that point. I didn't get the proof until I actually went down to the prosecutor's office and everything the man told, everything he said was the truth. I mean, I've got pictures of clothes being scattered on the ground. I think I sent those to you. Um, you know, there's this drag mark all the way down the street where his truck was parked which would, you know, definitely coincide with what Richardson said. Three individuals were dragging him down the street. I've got the 911 reported phone call that states that no ambulance came because it was canceled. Okay, so if a man actually was in the back of a truck and he died there, there would be more blood inside of the truck than there would be on the outside. And on the second 
scene where they, um, you know, arrest Turner Bay and they get my dad out, there's a puddle of blood in the back of the truck where they laid him down. There's like a, a, a big puddle of blood right there. But if a man had died and you found somebody in the back of the truck, there would be more blood on the inside than it would be on the outside of this second scene. You know, so a lot of things just didn't make sense. And then come to find out, Oscar, I started doing my research on his conviction because I wanted to know what was used to convict him because now I'm, I'm questioning everything. He's telling me that his, his you know, constitutional rights were uh, violated. He didn't have uh, counsel for six months. And these are things that most of us don't realize how important it is. You have to have counsel. Otherwise, all evidence, anything that can work on your behalf will be destroyed. So for six months, Turner Bay did not have a lawyer. They kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. So all this time has went past and all the information that could have been used to free this man. Because he actually worked for a DNR school bus company. So if he was a bad person, why would, you know, why would he be working at, a, you know, driving kids to school, you know, to and from school? And then one of the other things, ironic things, is that his badge is hanging from the vehicle. So what killer would actually be hauling a body around with his badge on the it, – it was just a lot of little different things that I noticed. Like, okay, you know, this may just be something that we need to look into, you know. So – as we begin to do more research on Turner Bay's uh, case, we learned that his conviction was based off of one slug being pulled from the victim's body from this 44 pump action rifle, and the victim was shot in the arm. However, we end up researching the autopsy, and my dad has a bullet to the left midline of his back. This bullet was never mentioned in Oscar Turner Bay's case. This bullet was never taken out. This is totally a different gun. There were three uh, there were three weapons that were taken and seized from this from this safe drug this drug safe house that were never cross examined. So they never brought it into the courtroom. Um, the only gun that they brought before the prosecution was this 44 pump action rifle that no one saw. Um, number one, if you know anything about guns, a pump action Vulcan rifle is meant to blow its target target down. It's what they use for like deers and big beasts. My dad would literally, if he was shot with a forty four, his whole arm and his whole side of his body would have been blown apart. Um, however, there's a twenty two and a thirty eight that was taken from this drug safe house, and we believe that those two were their actual um, a murder weapon. But these are guns that were never cross-examined, so they never even brought into the courtroom. Um, there's also a lot of staging of, like, people changing clothes. Um, there's an officer that states that he's got in his possession one of the suspects that has blood and blood on his coat and shoes. And he's asking over the radio, which over the radio it says, I'm sorry, the um, 911 dispatch transcript, it states that it's inaudible. Where the word inaudible means that he's, he's talking but no one can hear him. So these are all right. records that I have. You know, he's inaudible. He's saying, I've got the suspect in my custody. He's got blood and blood on his coat and shoes. So he's got this suspect in his custody. We don't even know who the suspect is because he lets them go. There's no indication of any long brown coat or any coat with blood on it or shoes in this entire investigation. The coat comes up missing. So in the forensics files and the forensics inventory, of all the um, evidence that was confiscated for the, from these suspects, there's no mention of this coat and shoes that you claim that you have in your custody. So they got rid of that stuff. 
And then, so you ask yourself, why did they do this? Why would they work so hard to cover this up? Well, it was stated that my dad apparently, or they felt like my father was some sort of informant. And at this time in 1987, there was a lot of corruption going on here in Kansas City where, um, you know, it dealt with a fire captain. They were convicting, um, trying to convict everybody for this drug conspiracy case. Um, you know, just, just FBI agents were everywhere, undercovers, all of that. So apparently my father got wrapped up in some type of drug conspiracy and my dad was murdered because they thought he was some sort of informant. You know, so that's how he got tied into all that. But um, as far mm-hmm. oh, go ahead. Yes, um, I was curious. I believe you had mentioned how much uh, that there were uh, bags of cocaine as well. Yes, there were five. Were, uh, yeah, and I just wondered, was there any mention of weed? Because when you think about if there's so much uh, drugs being confiscated mm-hmm. or discovered, then there has to be money also that would accompany all of the drugs. But there were, were was that also in the reports that money well, was? I'll tell you. That's a good I question. First thing. I will tell you this. Now, in the report, there's a detective, Neiman, who states that when he observed the crime scene, the door to the house was found wide open. Richardson Hmm. stated that people were running out of the house. So not only was the three suspects involved, but there were other people that were there that witnessed this because they flew out of the house. The front door and the back door were open. So when he walked up to the house, he noticed that there was a trail of blood inside of the house. So that means that the killer went back inside of the house. So when the Neiman, uh, Detective Neiman went inside of the house, he noticed that there was blood splattered on the door. When he walked in, that's where he found the five trash bags of cocaine in the kitchen. Um, he went to a back room where there was a mattress that the records um, state that were askew, meaning it was like slightly tilted over the box spring. He says as if it had been moved. When he lifted it up, there was a 22 high standard automatic rifle. Um, he mentioned that the that the mattress had looked as if it had been remo- like moved. It was like mm-hmm. not lined up with the box spring. Right. So, so this is in his report. Now you have another officer who reports that he also saw the trail of blood leading up to the house. Also saw the beer cans, the coolers, uh, cool, coolers. Uh, what is that? Coolers, light beer. Um, you know, chicken boxes, and you know, just basically stuff that are found like in the dope houses and things of that nature. You know, they're there for hours. You know, setting up and stuff. So there's beer cans everywhere. But he, and this is very, very um, interesting because his report states that when he walked in the house, the 22 high standard rifle was laying on the kitchen table with huh. the other drugs. So you've got officers whose statements are conflicting with each other. But guess what? Even with the blood dripping up to the door, that lets you know that whoever was outside went back inside, and they're tied to these drugs that are inside of the house. But because because there was police involvement, that's why those guns were never cross-examined, because the drugs inside of the house belonged to them. Mm-hmm. So what they did was 
they disregarded anything that had anything to do with the house. In fact, the house actually got blown up after Turner Bay was convicted. They ah. went, they blow it up. Yeah, that's one thing I learned too. Anytime there's any type of corruption dealing with police or fraternal order, you know, uh, conspiracies and stuff, they will blow it up. So if you ever wonder why buildings are on fire, you know, like certain murders or certain things, they just they they set it on fire. They like literally go and just blow it up. Yeah. So that's, so that's their way. Mm-hmm. That's their way of um, making sure that there's no evidence that will lead back to them. That, that's so. absolutely correct. And okay. it is my belief, as I started researching more, you know, I, you know, I saw the, the paper that said that Mr. Davis had a contract on him. Well, this, at this time, I'm 27. I don't know anything about no contracts, no hits. I don't know nothing about this stuff. But I'm walking into this truth, and I'm like, oh, my God. You know, my dad literally is, like, running for his life. You know, um, these people are following him in vans. And, you know, and so this, these are things that are coming out through the course of the of the case. You know, I'm talking with my uncle. He's explaining to me that my dad told him personally, you know, what would happen to him. And it dealt with and the fire department and things of that nature. So my dad already knew that he was going to get killed. And actually, to this day, I'm still trying to figure out why he was wearing a suit the night he was murdered. You know, so these things. Okay. Is my, wow. Wow. Deep. It's, okay. it's so deep. Now, he was a man of uh, character. You know, my dad always wore suits as far as, like, you know, church and, you know, uh, special functions. But, I'm, you know, I'm just blown away that he just happened to be killed wearing a suit. Mm-hmm. You see? So it's like it's almost as if he was coming back to set something straight and they just wouldn't let him out because he knew too much. You know, yeah. and I talk to OGs around here. I mean, I've done a lot. When I tell you that I've never, I've, I've you know, I've definitely, I, I studied criminal justice for about a year and a half, but I never finished. But I didn't even get a chance to get into all of the investigative parts. You know, I was just there, you know, for the, you know, just for the basic information, you know. So I have not a clue as far as this legal stuff and everything I'm walking into, but it's like the spirit is leading me into all this, into this understanding and the figuring and all this stuff out, and then come to find out I'm right, you know? And so this man does 30 years in prison for a crime he never committed. Um, we, My victim's advocate, Alvin, Mr. Alvin Sykes, he was a campaign, he did the campaign over Emmett Till to bring justice to that situation, the 1955 Emmett Till case. Um uh, Alvin Sykes did a wonderful job with advocating for me here, uh, trying to get to the bottom of this. You know, he told me that the pursuit of justice is a long one, so for me never to be anxious for anything. And even the Bible teaches us not to be anxious for anything um, because it has been a long journey. It's been 10 years, you know. But, right. you know, as far as the unresolved situation, there are three suspects, and I know who they are. There are three suspects that they know that they're responsible for this murder. You know, there's two officers that I at least know for a fact that are involved. You know, there's these people that were running outside of the house. So, you know, something's got to flash their memory. You know, and these things happen all the time. It's just that, you know, I guess I was just fortunate enough to, like, when I heard the call, you know, I I went, I listened, you know. Um, like I said, even as a child, I was always curious about things. I asked a lot of questions. You know, I had a very strong discernment. And 
like I said, I wasn't asking for any of this, but it is so important that, you know, when people lose a loved one, don't be so anxious to convict someone. You need to ask questions. You need to find out what was used to convict them because the system does not, they don't, they don't care nothing about us. You know, they care about convictions. It's like a billion-dollar business, and that's how they stay in business. So they don't care who's convicted or how or whatnot, but you have to ask the key questions, and you have to be diligent in that, and you just have to be serious. Um, because at this point, for 10 years, I've been very serious. When I inquired about this case, I was serious then. And then the more and more that I uncovered things, I became even more serious. Like somebody's going to tell me something because this is old to me. You know, this is, oh, the truth is old. You know, nobody wants to live their life with a dark shadow over them, shoulda, woulda, coulda, you know. And then, you know, the thought of my father having this gunshot wound to the left midline of his back that never was indicated in Turner Base, because that's the kill shot. You know, that's yeah. the fatal wound, you know. But his case does not indicate any fatal shot to the back. Even the judge makes mention in the case where he's asking the prosecution, why are you showing me a body with, with autopsy sutures? Sutures is when they sew you up. So the judge right. in this case is confused. He's confused while the prosecution is showing Anas Davis Jr. dead, but he's sewn up. So I found that to be very odd. So he says, you know what, come back with more evidence. There's, you know, I need to see the prints off of this gun. You know, we need more evidence. So he actually tells the prosecution to come back with more evidence. But what happens is that they couldn't get any, so they dismissed Oscar Turner Bay in first-degree murder. So the first trial was actually acquitted. It was over with. But they never released him. So I'm going to hmm. tell you how, what they used to convict him. It wasn't a gun. It wasn't even the eyewitness because the eyewitness knew Turner Bay personally because they were all, you know, they from the block or whatnot, and Turner Bay had his truck, and he was a helper. He would haul things, help people move refrigerators and things of that nature. So Richardson's whole deal was if I thought it was Turner Bay, I would just say it was Turner Bay. I knew him from around the way. You know, but he couldn't say that it was Turner Bay. It was someone else. So the eyewitness was not used to convict Turner Bay at all. What was convicted Turner Bay was this jailhouse informant <laughs> who was in Jackson County on four counts of forgery. His name was Roland Allen. Roland Allen. He's a jailhouse informant. They they give Roland Allen a paper, a newspaper, and tell him to study this. And this is something a lot of people don't realize either. They have what you call jailhouse informants, where prosecutors will go to the jail and, like, call them out and say, do you want a deal? Do you want to cut a deal? They'll teach them the case or whatever, and that's all they need is their testimony. So apparently Roland Allen has stated that Oscar Turner Bay told him in the law library that he was good for it, that he had done it. Roland Allen gets on the stand and says he went to school with my dad. He played track and football. My lawyer, we did our investigation. There is no Roland Allen, not on any roster, never heard of him or anything. So they convict Turner Bay off a jailhouse informant that states that he told him in the law library that he had done it. However, I guess when Turner Bay had came back, um, you know, before the judge, he's basically like, you know, this is a lie. So they call up the clerk for the law library. His name was James Davis. 
so the judge is asking, okay, can you pre- can you produce records that show that these two were together? So the guy James Davis is like, well, I work for the such and such module unit. Um, the two are from different housing units, which make it impossible for them to have ever crossed paths. So then again, there it is again. It never happened. However, they never released Turner Bay. They never released them. There was even with the records, there's no other records besides the first trial. So technically, he was held like under a false imprisonment. And there are so many other cases that are like this where they just don't let them go. Like they, there was never a second transcript, a second like um, you know, grand jury trial or anything. It was just mm. like they just kept like he was just in there just sitting there and so as 30 years has went by turner bay is dead he died uh, january 27th of 2017 there's no one sitting in that space anymore but we still have three other suspects that are still out here you see Mm -hmm. what i'm saying so it's kind of like he's he was used as the fall guy and so he was definitely used as a file guy, and anybody that has ever saw this case, and they are blown away because it's all here. Like, they didn't try to hide it or anything. The ambulance was canceled, which coincides with what Richardson was saying. You guys just came here talking to the men, and you just drove off. Turner Bay said at the time of his stop, he when he saw my dad, he said, well, wait, get him to the hospital. He said, I thought it was really strange, Anissa, because when someone is hurt, the first thing they would want would be for someone to help them. He said, your father was trying to get away from them. And he said he thought that was bizarre. My dad was like shaking, trying to get away from them, you know, like flee. He wow. didn't want them helping him. And so, and then Turner Bay said that he noticed they kept just pushing him back down to the ground. He said, your dad was so strong. He was lifting himself up with that one arm. He said, but they just kept pushing him back down. And then they started removing all his clothes. So mm-hmm. in the prosecutor's file, I find all these pictures. I'm stumbling across my father's dead body. I see the clothes scattered on the ground. Um, in the in the in the uh, courtroom, the judge is even asking a question about the clothes. Well, what is the clothes about? Like, what's all that about? So the police say, "Oh, uh, mass mass ambulance must have cut them before we arrived." You see how huh. none of it makes sense. He they said mass ambulance, which is the ambulance service must have cut them and sat and took the clothes off as they were trying to help him before we got there. But you were the ones that stopped the truck. You pulled the victim out, but then you're, you know, but in the trial you stated that someone else took the clothes off the victim. Hmm. So yeah, it's a very, it's a very interesting, it's a very disturbing situation here. Very disturbing. In fact, it pretty much has interrupted my entire life. Um, as mm-hmm. I mentioned before, you know, even with the book, you know, it definitely, it, it's just going to give you a tsunami of emotions. And it, it just basically teaches you that the things that you thought was, was finalized or things that you thought was the truth is not. And one thing about lies is that they do resurface. You know, what is hidden does come to light. You know, and even though it took all these years, I think that's just basically, you know, what is revealing through all this is that, you know, unresolved things, if you listen, if you learn to listen and be at a still standstill or whenever it is your time, because I can't even explain to you why my dad came to me. I don't. Even to this day, I still am trying to figure that out. 
But it mm-hmm. happened at a time where I was truly down. Like I was really seeking out. I was really wanting change um, within myself. I think I mentioned this um, on the previous show. I was at a time that I was ready to clear out the negativity, anything that was holding me captive, you know, uh, because I know that the heart is deceitful, you know, above, above all things and beyond cure, you know, and then the scripture tells you who can understand the heart. So I was at that point where I was trying to clear out my heart. Anyone that caused me grief, caused me pain, hurt, I was really trying to forgive them. And Oscar Turner Bay was on that list too. But I didn't know that my heart was getting ready to be cleaned out so that a bigger truth could come, you know, and um, change my life forever. Um, So where we are today with everything is, as I mentioned before, you know, the book is the book, but the case is the case. You know, I I do my best to try to talk to other people that have lost loved ones. You know, my first, because I don't trust anything they say anymore. Like, I don't trust any law enforcement. I I see how they they paint their own scenarios, their own plots. You know, you may have thought that that's what happened, but that ain't even what happened. You know, what I'm saying is they choose what they want to say. They choose it. Unless someone is, like, physically there, like, okay, nope, that's not what happened. They pick their own plots. They pick their own plots. They they, they stage things. You know, and this is the system that we are supposed to, like, trust, but they work they work against us, really. And... You know, through all this, you know, I definitely have become more conscious with everything, you know, with spirituality, with the world, with the system, with the laws. It's like when I tell you that it it changed my life to no end, like I can't, I cannot operate the way I used to. It, I, you know, all that foolishness and stuff that's out the window. Like I'm very serious, and I'm a, I'm serious all the time. <laughs> People are like, you know, cheer up a little bit. You know, uh, don't let it get to. You. But it's not that. It's just that I just see things for what they are. You know, and I'm like, just give it to me straight. I'll give it to you straight. Everything is with me. It's like there's no. Everything is just like black or white. That's it. Like, there's no gray. There's nothing in between. And that's what this case has done to me. It has seriously made me look at life seriously. Um, It made me look at paperwork differently, even when you're at the doctor's office. If I came and I told you that my heart is hurting and you put that I came in for a headache, and then I go back and look at my paperwork and I see that you didn't put what I said, guess what I'm going to do? Seriously, Miss Age. I'm going to call them, and I'm going to ask them to change it because that's not what I came down there for. Right. So that's this that's case, it. you see what I'm saying? Like, it, it just opened me. It, it shows you I, that I, I, people are in control over your destiny by what they write, mm-hmm. you know. And then, as I mentioned before, as I started seeking truth, you know, in the murder of my father, you know, the most high started revealing the truth about our people, started revealing the truth about the Bible, about just the system in general and how everything is meant as a brainwash and how, you know, they it wasn't meant for us to think outside of the of the box. They didn't want that. Because once you start thinking outside the box, that's when you are truly free. You know, and I mean when I tell you that it's just it's just so many levels to this truth. It it really is. And, like, I can go on and on, but as far as the main deal, my dad has a gunshot wound to the left midline of his back. The medical examiner, which I recently 
recently spoke with the medical examiner of Jackson County about a year ago, and she told me personally through an email that there's no way that a 44 pump rifle could have killed my dad. She said more than likely it would have been the 22 because it's a lower uh, uh, velocity gun, and it stayed in the body. She said this bullet stayed in the body and it bounced around, hit every organ, the heart, the lungs, and some other names. That she, and she said in the at the stomach area, and it landed in the abdomen. So these are things that if you didn't know about guns, and you and this happens to you. These are things that you want to look into because not all guns go right through. A twenty two right. stays inside. You see, and see, that would mean that you did that deliberately, which would have probably been, and it said, in a downward spiral. So that would fit the description as to what Oscar said. They had your father. He was laying on the They kept pushing him back down. So mm-hmm. the thought of my dad, this wonderful black man, family-oriented, proper-talking, my dad had two college degrees, very funny, loving, he could sing. You know, um, he, he, he did suffer from rejection growing up. My dad grew up in orphanage. They threw hot water on my father as a kid because he was so black. Even at University of Missouri when he was in college, he suffered, um, he suffered a lot of uh, racism, you know, because of his skin color and everything. And back in those days when he was playing football in the college, the whites got special treatment, and then the blacks didn't. You know, mm-hmm. so all his life he had to, like, uh, you know, I hate to say it, he just always had to fight for something. It's like he was dark-skinned, and all you could see was his beautiful teeth. You know, um, all you could see was his beautiful smile. He was funny. But he would just fit the description as just a regular black person. And that's the problem that I have with society is that we all are not up to no good. You know, right. and I truly believe in my heart, you know, based on what my, my uncle has told me, what my dad has revealed to him, he said, my daughters are not going to want for nothing. So whatever he was involved in, the people made a promise to him. And that's something oh. that has come out through the course of this, too. They made a promise is if he did something. And my uncle said that he believed that the, the people, the officials is what I just say, the officials were making him run trips for them. Another thing that came out in the case was that the three suspects, the second one, which his name was Gilmore, my dad's California driver's license is found in the trunk of Gilmore's car that night, along with the 38, in the trunk of the car. Why would he have my dad's identification right. papers? Why would he have a 38? You know, why is my dad's stuff in the trunk of his car? Because the prob- what they did, they took all the identification off of him, and they mm-hmm. had another car parked along the other side, and they put it in that trunk, and then they put him in the back of T- Oscar Turner Bay's truck, hoping that he was going to die, but he didn't die yet. So when Turner mm. Bay gets into his vehicle, as he stated, if they wanted me, they could have got me. He said it was an unmarked car at the end of the block. He just, they were just waiting there. He gets into this truck to try to drive off to go home, and then five blocks up the street, he's pulled over. So what happens is that they don't even put him under arrest. They go straight to the bed. He said it's, it's as if they were mad at your dad about something. Your father was trying to get away from them. So what happens is that they end up, um, once they do what they do with my dad, they go ahead and take Turner Bay away. And he says that as he's in the patio play, patio uh, car, patio wagon, 
He could hear over the radio, there's a dead body in the back of this truck. There's a dead body in the back of this truck. And so he's like, hold up, wait, what? You know, there's no dead body nowhere. And in the paperwork downtown, and I have in my possession right now, it states a victim and a suspect were arrested at 59th and Tracy. How can a victim and a suspect be arrested? Mm. That terminology don't fit. Mm-hmm. A victim and a suspect were arrested at 59th and Tracy, which Tracy's the next block over from Virginia. It's like right in between Tracy and Virginia. So right Um, there tells you when you stop the truck, if it's a victim and a suspect, that means someone, two people were alive. mm -hmm. You know, know, two people you've put on the arrest or you've talked to or whatever the case is. Because that doesn't make sense. How can a victim be arrested? A victim and a suspect arrested? You know, right. and then, and then, like, the terminology of the paperwork, you know, um, it was just, like, small things that I noticed. It was even talking about my dad's bloodline. It was talking about, like, his blood, his DNA, you know, his, um, you know, the type of blood he had. It said it was only 76,000 people with this type of blood. And, and then they mentioned him being a Negro. And I'm like, whoa, like, I'm really looking like ancient files. And it wasn't that long ago, if you think about it. In 1987, it seems like it, but it really wasn't. But they referred to us as Negro. It didn't say black. It didn't say African-American. It said Negro on the paperwork. So these are things that my eyes are just kind of like I'm researching and I'm looking just at how they, you know, talk about stuff, how they word things. And they refer to him as being a Negro, a Negro, you know. And then, like, so all of that is how I ended up coming into truth about everything. And I I don't want to say too much because, you know, I want people to read the book. But it was like Mm -hmm. God used this case to wake me up spiritually for me to be able to discern what is real and what is fake, you know, what is fabricated, what is meant to brainwash you, what is meant to trip you up, you know, because this case is very much like a web. Like once you go in, you have to spiritually be ready for it because every, you get disturbed. It'll, it, it take you places that you're like, what in the heck, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I just, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world, but to say that this has been easy, it has absolutely not been easy. I lost relationships behind it because I won't let me put it down. Something that's urging me to keep going um, because it, it's a story. It, the whole situation, even with my family being broken up behind my father's death, you know, everybody's has has went through all these mistrials and you know, all this stuff and just crazy stuff happening to us and everybody's stuck in 87 and we can't move forward because of this, you know, and then out of nowhere I'm chosen to do this, you know. So it's like it's just not me that's in the process of healing, but my father's spirit can't be at peace until this is resolved, obviously. That's you know? right. Exactly. So, well said. Thank I'm- you. I'm appreciative because you have disclosed so much for our listening audience tonight. You have provided them with the facts. And I'm sure a lot had some answers last time we did our interview together. And that was the part one. But tonight was just like all of what part one prepared us for and part one you did such a great job even then just 
fully describing for us, okay, this is the nature of this case. This is what we're looking at, what I was presented with, but this is what I know. And with that same strong conviction, tonight you came and gave us even more facts to consider. So I do want to say to you, thank you. I mean, I applaud you on your efforts because that's a lot of work. A lot of people, um, you know, listening, I, I'm, I'm sure they're probably saying, wow, she did a lot. You did what I'm sure it probably takes three people, a team of two to three people to do that are well trained in that, you know, as mm -hmm. far as investigation and knowing procedures, policy and all of that. And I mean, it helped me out even to get a better um, perception of exactly what I'm looking at, just being able to ask some a little questions, but hearing the facts as you gave them and just absorbing the information. I think it's so key to listen, hear the facts, and then revisit some of the details. And that's what I was able to do tonight. And I'm really feeling like, you know, by any means necessary, and I want to put that out there in the air, if anyone who is listening can be of help to Anissa Davis-Jackson, um, she really deserves to bring closure to this tragic event, which has taken place impacting her life forever. And if you can be of some assistance to her, she is definitely willing to receive your aid. I know there's those out there, your lawyers, um, your in law enforcement investigation. Um, you you have the resources if you can assist her because she's done a lot and she deserves to be well supported in this, which will just move things a lot faster. As for the um, case being reopened and, and and investigation taking place so that this can come to a, a close abruptly and soon. I mean, it's a lot emotionally for the family, for her, mm -hmm. her loved ones. She has children. Um, so let's do what we can. And I put that out there in faith, knowing that you will, for those who are in that position, you have resources and you can assist her. Please do think of it in this light. What you do today, to help somebody, it's gonna come back in your time of need. You do that. it Absolutely. in one way, it usually comes back many in many ways in your time of need. So I do wanna say that as well. And Anissa, um, if you can provide your contact information for those that would like to assist you, or even those that are just community organizers, um, mm -hmm. Maybe they can have a, a rally or something and raise awareness to the cause and help even financially because I know, I'm sure oh, that it's possible with all oh, those yeah. years that you've sacrificed and put out a lot mm -hmm. of money. So it for those that, yes, in that regard, you can just provide your um, contact information at this time. And thank you. I, 
I sure would. Thank you so much. I did just want to tell you that, um, you know, the Kansas City Police Department within the last year stated that even though I had the records for the autopsy that stated, you know, the kill shot to the left main line of of the back, he stated Mm -hmm. that we would have to do something um, to get solid evidence. So I'm explaining to him, you know, the the autopsy states that my dad was shot in the back, but Turner Bay's conviction is based off my father being shot in the arm, and there's only one slug that was brought into the, you know, into the courtroom. So he states that if my family were to do something such as exhume the body and we can prove that my father was shot in the back, he would go ahead and reopen the case with no questions asked. Now, this is what the detective did tell me over a year ago. However, exhuming the body is something that myself, my victim's advocate, Alvin Sykes, we, my lawyer, uh, Childress, we had already discussed doing that anyway. But with digging up a body, you know, you have to ask yourself, are you ready for it? And I am. You know, I truly am. I feel like that's the only closure that I'm going to get or our family will get. But then also the cost for that has been very hard. I mean, it's a lot. Uh, we even have a pathologist that lives in Israel, and he's willing to travel over here to do this. So we already have, like, the connections as far as the resources is just the the funds, you know, and that sort of deal. So when you said if there's anyone, any organizations out there that wants to dig deep into a serious case like this, this is definitely the type of case that they would want to get their hands on because it is uh, somewhat of a civil rights type of movement here that we're um, that we're thinking. Um, would shed light, you know, on a lot, and not just my father's murder, but this is going to open up a lot of other doors to other situations too. And I just think that, um, you know, the Most High is just using me to um, to pay attention and then to wake everybody else up too. I can be reached um, on Facebook. I do have a website at Memoirs of a Broken Side dot com. My email address is Memoirs of a Broken Side eighty seven at gmail dot com. And, um, of course, I'm on Facebook, Anissa Davis-Jackson. You can reach me there, too. And I would just appreciate any type of support, whether it be emotional, uh, financial, you know, regarding the case, you know, why, yeah. um, just anything. I Like I said, I even speak. So if anyone needs me to come out and talk to other people that are going through this, I'll be more than happy to do that. Um, it's just all a part of the mission. So, I know that every little that I do, you know, I know that it's all it's all making something big happen here. And I believe in a time and season for everything and I believe that, you know, everything will will, you know, come to light with this case. Yes. Oh my, yes indeed. Yes indeed. And again, I I have to say it's it's a pleasure to have you come on and to be so willing to be open uh, sharing the details because a lot of times not everyone that we have as a guest on the show is as open or willing to share full details. So I do want to say I commend you on doing just that. I appreciate mm-hmm. it. And um, we're definitely going to do our part and just help with even even just promoting yes. the book sales because I'm sure the proceeds and profits, even from that, mm-hmm. are going to go. A lot absolutely. of it goes <laughs> to work. You are so right. <laughs> you know, for justice. So, um, yeah, we're going to do a lot more with regards to that to just get the books sold and in the hands of everyone. Because 
honestly, I mean, now that sort of thing is becoming too commonplace. We're hearing of these mysterious deaths of young, um, mm-hmm. you know, men of color. And a lot of them, I mean, like the most recent one, the Botham case, um, yeah. you know, innocent. It's just like, what's going on? And it just throws us all back. It takes us backwards as a nation and, and especially yeah. our community. And it's like, how far have we really overcome if these things are happening and it's becoming commonplace today? You know, how do we stop this when it's law enforcement? You know, these are officers that are perpetrators. Like, what is that saying to us for our community? So, I mean, your story definitely speaks the truth about that and addresses it. And I tell you, we're up against some forces. I just really believe, like you brought out, spirituality is mm-hmm. so essential. And having the, the discernment mm-hmm. about the spirit realm is so key uh, for today. Because a lot of these things, these aren't just random uh, killings or murders. Um, oh. There's an evil Mm-hmm. There's an evil um, energy and spirit that is unleashed. And we just have to really, as a people, we've got to become spiritual again. A lot of us, you know, we stop doing some things that we know. Right. Um, we were taught, you know, our foreparents did them, you know, and, and these were spirituality practices to keep us um, ahead of these types of conspiracies and things that keep us alive actually you know knowing the threat of death is always imminent because it's never not been imminent i mean forever we've been tar- a targeted uh people um we've been um you know they've lynched us they've stolen land from us they've you know raped <laughs> the women um and unfortunately even the men i did find out that yeah. it was just our women, you know, even the men. Uh, so much was done to degrade us and and to just disenfranchise us. And it's like, you know, we have to know that we must be a chosen people, you know, to go through okay. such. Um, we're, we're definitely special. And we have to know that to begin with. I think parents need to speak that to their children and let their children know. And that's why you have to be wise today. And that's why you have to know who you befriend today. And that's why you have to be aware of what's going on in your community and what streets not to um, be on and, and what things not to get involved in because there's so much evil targeted and unleashed. And we're unfortunately the target, yes. the majority, we're the majority that's being targeted. So we need to, um, from a spiritual, from a spiritual standpoint, we need to up our involvement and indulgence in spirituality and practices of spirituality. And yes, I'm referring to the praying, the meditating, um, 
uh, taking time and reading and studying sacred scriptures. And I do believe in the burning of the sage in your home and speaking psalms aloud when you do it to um, just clear the air of negative vibrations and energy because a lot of negativity is being unleashed. And we've got to defend, you know, we have to up our strength and defenses uh, to fight or combat that. And it takes dedication. It takes a daily, um, a daily practicing, you know, to fortify your spirit hedge of protection. We've got to stay covered. And I just know hearing this story tells us, you know, some people are just like your father was. It was like he was willing to die for what he believed. Um, he was willing to die so that he knew he had done his part. You know, we all have a mission. We're here. We're born with a mission. And I do believe that some of us will be martyrs for righteousness sake. And it's not a bad thing. It's, it's hard on the loved ones and the friends because they directly feel the impact when you're gone. But ultimately, you think about, well, my life had so much meaning. And I did something that was just, so it wasn't in vain. And by way of inspiration, someone to look at my life and that will inspire or motivate them to do something just as well. So, you know, it's not that tragedy is not, I mean, a lot of times we look at tragedy and we say, oh, you know, it's horrible that this happened. Well, yes, but when a person's heart is clean or when a person's faith is pure and their living is not in vain, their dying is not in vain. And through their death, there's going to be something good, something that's just, something that's righteous, that's going to manifest. And somebody's going to be motivated or inspired to do the right thing from their legacy that they left. So with that being said, your father's dying was not in vain, nor was his living in vain. And I'm hoping and, and, and believing, along with hoping, that all of your efforts are met by justice being served, concerning him and his untimely death and uh, a conviction of those that are responsible, the guilty. And if that doesn't happen here on this plane, we know yes. eternally, yes, it's going to happen because judgment day is yeah. reality. No one's going to escape that. The guilty will not escape that. So be encouraged, my sister. Um, help is definitely on the way. And we're definitely in support of you in this book being written. 
I'm sure that's even going to bring closure to a lot of people, those that had questions and they were wondering, they were just saying from the beginning when they heard the story in the news, something's just not adding up here. Right. What is it that I don't already know about this, you know? So thank oh, you yeah. again for, you know, all of what you did. I mean, I commend you. That was a lot, you know, all of the research, the digging, the investigating, the probing, all of which you Knocking did. Knocking on people's door. Yeah. Address, skip tracing, looking up social security numbers, looking. <laughs> Literally, when I tell you, I was at people's doorsteps. I was at retirement homes. There was an old man that lived on the corner, um, at the other opposite corner house where it happened. I went to go see him at the nursing home. When I tell you that I was like, I was all over the place, but I had the momentum, you know, I did. And I just kept looking and kept looking and I wasn't going to stop until I figured it out. And, you know, now that we got pretty much the idea as to what happened, now it's like, it's like me and God, what do you really want? Like you asked for this, I showed it to you, you know, what do you, what are you going to do from here? So are you going to still hold on to, you know, the hurt in an ang- you know, in an angry manner, or are you going to turn it around, you know, and, um, you know, try to help the next person, you know? So that's basically mm-hmm. what I'm getting out of it too. And I just wanted to mention that, um, you know, I've, I think I've told you this before, but I pretty much based the book on Ecclesiastes 14, 13, 12, and it mentions that the conclusion when it's, when all has been heard, is to fear the Most High and keep His, you know, commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether good or evil. And that's what I got out of everything. Yes, indeed, and that's the truth. That's the truth. We can, we can handle the truth in our heart, mind, spirit, and soul. We can handle it, and it's only. If we are reprobate, that's the word, reprobate, that we cannot handle the truth. Those that are reprobates are those that just have no inclination for being just or embracing that which is good. And we know that it's definitely not up. If you're tuned in tonight, you had the interest and desire to know the truth, so it's not you. But there's those that they don't want the truth. They rather believe a lie and create a lie. So mm-hmm. in terms of them, there's a place for them. They're going to be judged according to their deeds. And we're yeah. definitely, I know I'm a truth monger, so I'm not in support of them. I'm definitely in support of Anissa Davis Jackson. Thank you. What she's doing to bring about uh, uh, justice, and in turn, may she have closure in reference to her father's um, untimely death. And I do see that as he truly laying down, he laid down his life. That's exactly. He truly laid down his life. Um, There's a caller on the line, one five. Uh, welcome. Is this co-host Warrior's Queen? Yes, sir. Yes, it is. It's the co-host of the Forest Selman, Warrior's Queen. <laughs> well, I welcome you, and I'm so glad you were able to call in because I know you have either a comment or remark for 
our special guest. Um, and this mm. is Anissa Davis Jackson. We've been discussing the death of her father. Um, whole open. Um, I don't know how much we do have a caller that that's going to oh. call in in a few minutes as well. But um, I don't know how much of uh, the interview you were able to capture. I know that you're busy always uh, multitasking mm -hmm. and just preparing for your part on this show. Mm -hmm. But um, any questions that you may have, Anissa is still with us. And I want to thank Anissa again for being mm -hmm. so dedicated. I mean, she has done so much work as for mm -hmm. her efforts to um, find the truth and to know, well, what really happened and why? So mm -hmm. if you have any questions for her, we did touch on spirituality. And I thought of you because you and I had a conversation just today about that and the need mm -hmm. of um, being spiritual in, in today's world. So whatever you would like to say, feel free to direct it to her attention at this time. And the mic is in your hands. All right, thank you, Sage. And um, how are you, Anissa? Anissa I'm doing wonderful. How are you? Yeah, I'm coming along also. And um, the question I had regarding your not your book, you know, how long did it take you to write? Ten years. Um, and I say that Ten, because uh, I was working the case, and then in the process of doing the case, something spiritual was telling me that I'm to write about everything that is going on and what I see. And that's how I came up with the book. So I didn't know I had a book until I went through the case. Mm -hmm. So 10 years. All right, and I also see, oh, wow. Yeah, that's a long time. But, mm -hmm. you know, it was uh, necessary, you know, to uh, put it together. And I also see, you know, read how your case was reopened. So that was... Um, how can I put it? I'm going to have to try to keep it as simple. You know, like that was very helpful. So what reopened the case? Well, um, I can't say that it was officially reopened, um, but mm -hmm. it was being investigated. Um, so I actually had to sit uh -huh. at the round table with all the prosecutors um, discussing this, you know, 1987 year old case. They mm -hmm. realized that I pretty much was on to something and it was just, it, mm -hmm. it's going to pose a bigger concern. So what they've done mm -hmm. is that they've really made it hard for me. Um, so now they're talking about mm -hmm. the only way they will officially reopen it is if I exhume the body and then we come with some evidence concerning this mystery womb to the back, which I have the paperwork that shows that it's there. Um, it's there. Mm -hmm. It's in the autopsy, but they're saying that they need something solid. So when they say solid, they mean going in and digging up my dad, and then if I we find that there is, he was shot in the back, then we can bring that, you know, that information, and then they'll reopen it with no uh, hesitation. But, um, you know, I definitely, you know, I can't say that I feel like I've done less because I still feel like there's people that don't even get that chance. And for me to be able to speak with judges and sit at tables with prosecutors and travel to Jefferson City, the legislative office, to discuss this case, and I'm clearly not experienced, but be able to grasp mm -hmm. them 
where they're paying attention. You know, I know that it was definitely Mm -hmm. a higher power that was, um, you know, before me. So, Mm -hmm. You know what? Go ahead. You read my (laughs) to I was listening to you, and then you spoke, you know, my telepathy. (laughs) What Mm -hmm. I mean. Oh, sorry. Are you there? Sorry, my button. I was saying was that, yeah. Go ahead. Yes, I'm here. Hello? Oh yeah, all right. Yes, so I was I'm saying here. you spoke my to yeah, when I you spoke my telepathy and um what I mean is that when you said it was a higher power, you know, that was helping you and um yeah, it was indeed and not only that, but to dig up your dad's grave and all, all they're gonna find is just dust. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you yeah, know what? So I, I thought mean, the same thing, but the ju- the mm-hmm. um, detective stated that if he was embalmed, then mm-hmm. they'll be able to, you know, it preserved. And then, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I, you know, I really don't know. I, I personally don't want to be the one that has to look at all that because I think that'll really disturb mm-hmm. me. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, yeah, I don't I think I want to be the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, mm-hmm. if it's meant to do that, then, you know, all will happen mm-hmm. if it's. You know, if, if anything well, else. Yeah, I do want to interject, and this is Sage, uh, the host of the show. Mm-hmm. I do want to interject in saying because of forensics uh, today mm-hmm. and the advancement of science and technology, they're going to have enough um, DNA mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. be able to find out what they need to know. It's, it's, um, mm-hmm. And then... Uh, the the way these coffins are made um, now, they literally are shut and it's airtight, which does prevent a lot of bacteria and things that would decay the um, skin tissue, the bone tissue, the DNA um, at a faster rate. So I would suggest, um, just based on some of what I know from forensic studies, um, they should be able to find out what they're looking for and and to be Mm -hmm. able to have enough it should be enough dna um accessible for them to do what they need to do now as for the cost you know for exhuming the body that's where we come in and um promoting the book sales because there's proceeds and profits from the book sales that will go towards that in the investigation fees Mm-hmm. So we do want to encourage anyone out there, if there's anyone out there and you're looking for a cause, because we know you're out there, philanthropists, donors, um, this is definitely a worthy cause to um, invest, to invest your dollars, your money in. And just know that it's something worthwhile. Uh, this man was doing not, no wrong. This was an innocent man, and he just happened to fall victim to a, a crime due to his involvement mm-hmm. in a conspiracy, um, and he was on the side of justice. He was on the good side. So we do want to support the family right now, and so anyone, if you have you have the means or you can even refer to someone that has the means, I'm going to ask now for Anissa Davis-Jackson to share her contact information again. Please reach out to her, and let's help people. Okay. My email address is 
memoirs of a broken side eighty seven at gmail dot com. I can be reached on Facebook at Anisa Davis Jackson. I also have a website, memoirs of a broken side dot com, and all three. I'll, I'll be looking forward um, to speaking with you. Outstanding, excellent, and Anisa, I definitely know um, this interview. I'm definitely going to be sharing the link as soon as the um, audio recording is available because I know there's a lot of people that definitely will want to even invite you on their show and we're going to get the word out about the book and just have you on some more uh, podcasts to testify of what is the truth because so many of us we were in the dark concerning uh, this case and now we don't have to be and you have a lot of evidence now to present which definitely sheds light on this entire event you know tragic event but we're going to look at the bright side of this the truth coming out um a conviction that's what we're hoping for and not we know judgment day there will be one (laughs) but in the meantime um, you and your family will at least have closure, and um, we see, like you said, this is the the victory of this will mean victory for other families because we mm-hmm. know there's a lot of them out there, unfortunately. Yeah. Yes, that's the hard part. Yeah, and uh, this is uh, Warriors Queens, the poor, the co-hostess to Anissa. Uh, what, you know, your case is definitely something that's never happened before. Uh, by you talking, you know, with the judges and the prosecution, and I think that it was the book that you wrote that, they, that you know, the courts read, that the justice system read, and uh, that made them, you know, uh, we that made them do what they did? Well, uh, it's the other way around. Um, Mm -hmm. Because they did not do what I wanted them to do. And Mm -hmm. it was really just becoming very stressful. And it was really a spiritual battle, just back and forth, back Mm -hmm. and forth with them. Um, Mm -hmm. When I found myself getting discouraged, that's when I heard the Spirit say, you know, that I needed to write and that everything that mm-hmm. I was being taken through, I was supposed to write it. So actually it was the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I know uh, that they are very much aware of the book because, in fact, there's been a mm-hmm. couple of police officers that have bought my book from me, you know, um, at mm-hmm. the Juneteenth celebration this past this summer, this mm-hmm. past June. Um, I had two officers mm-hmm. that actually purchased books from me. And um, mm-hmm. so I know that they're aware of the book, so it was actually the other way around. I think now that they, I, I'm the girl that never went away, basically. That's what they're saying. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, that's what they <laughs> I never went away. So that's what it is. I tell you, mm-hmm. you have made them accountable if they've never been held accountable before now mm-hmm. you have made them accountable and I'm sure there's someone there's always good 
I was told I spoke to my mm -hmm. grand aunt three days ago. We had a phone conversation. And um, she said to me, always look for goods, even in a person that's not, because it is in them. You just mm -hmm. have to find that good thing in them. In other words, I know it was a divine inspiration by what she was speaking that to me because I had just right. went through an incident and I felt like, wow, how could a person do that? You know, sometimes we go through experiences with people and we've dealt with them for a period of time. So we're like, wow, you know, how could they be this way towards me? I've only done this to them. I've never done anything yeah. to merit that, right? So mm -hmm. her words fell in a place where I needed them. You know, it was a word in due season. And I listened and listened in depth, you know, very intently to what it was that she was saying, the, the truth of what it was that she said. And what came to me just as clear was that there are good people in every field and operation and government. And in every every place of our world, but we are the the light. If we are chosen to be such, we are the light to enlighten them of when it's time for them to do the just thing. There's people in position. There's people that are in place that will and shall do good works. But sometimes it's our spoken words that yes. incite them because sometimes they're just waiting. When is the time right for me to do what I know I'm here to do? And they're here to do good. There are those that are just born and it's in them and nothing will sway them. Nothing will change that about them. But it's our words. So I want to encourage those that are afraid. Sometimes people become intimidated to speak out because they feel like, you know, well, I'm this little person. They're not going to listen to me. These are people of affluence and influence. Um, how can I speak about what it is that they're doing when they have the power to silence me? No, speak. Because there's a greater power that of affluence and influence that empowers you, but you have to know that, and you speak your truth to power. Never allow yourself to become intimidated because a person has a position or a seat of authority and power that's higher in this physical world than you. Know who you are in spirit. You are great. And because you are a person of the truth, the power that is the higher power will always have your back and defend you. You will always be defended. With heaven on your side, who can be against you? It's like, don't be afraid of anything or anyone that would try to oppose you. The truth in you is far greater and more mightier mm -hmm than the, the, the lies and the deception that governs a lot of people, unfortunately, that are in power seats. 
and authority positions in our world today. So we just have to know our, uh, know who it is that empowers us. Know the power within us is greater than anything that's in the world that's just what it is. It's just negative. It's just not mm -hmm. good. And allow that light to shine. Let your words be heard. Don't be afraid. Because it does matter that you speak. Sometimes that is what initiates those that are in those positions that will do good and can do good to do the right thing. You, your words, have power. I believe that. Yes, indeed. Yes, I believe, I agree. You know, words have power. And uh, that's what somebody has said, Ralph Smart. YouTuber, and he mm -hmm. said, like, mind what you say, you know, about it. the words, you know, that have power behind it. Great. Well, with that being said, we're going to wrap up the special edition to our episode of episode 278. I want to thank every listener, everyone that was tuned in, those who called, those that joined in the chat room. We had some that were just listening. And then they messaged and said, I'm listening. I'm hearing the show. I am really inspired. So I want to say to uh, Anissa Davis-Jackson, yes. thank you for blessing this show's platform. I mean, your truth marches on. Your truth endures to all generations. Know that book is stellar and it's a gift to all who purchased it. Yes, indeed. And it's going to empower, it's one that will empower others to tell the truth and to not be afraid to be a truth monger, to be bold with the truth, you know, which you are, you're bold with the truth and, and your book speaks to that. So we want to encourage you to continue to do interviews, of course, um, do book signings. We got it. I'm definitely going to be in touch with you about okay. a author's conference coming up. I'm, I'm here located on the East Coast in the state of Pennsylvania, and I'll be informing you. I believe it's one coming up either January or February. And I was entreated about inviting authors that could uh, do presentations. So I'm very touched by the message of your book and, and you and your spirit. I would love to refer you to the person that's the organizer. So I will definitely be in touch with you really soon with the details and you can take it from there. But thanks Absolutely. again. Yes, thank, thank you so for blessing much. me. You're thank welcome. Thank you for blessing me to be here. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. So Warriorous Queen, is there anything you would like to say? If not, we're going to wrap up and then you can begin the free publishing tips hour. Oh, no, I don't have anything to say, but I just wish you well, uh, Nisa, with your books and everything else that you do. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Blessings to you, too. Yes, certainly. Right, and thank that, you. And as that mm -hmm. saying goes, how, you know, you always bid Godspeed. We bid you um, mm -hmm. the Almighty's protection, his uh, grace. And his mercy upon you and your love and your love loving family, and may everything that is just take place moving forward as you continue in your pursuit 
of justice for your father's uh, untimely death and murder. Yes, indeed. And may his soul continue to rest in power and rest in yes. peace. Yes, yes ma'am. Yes, indeed. Well, at this time, we are now transitioning to what is called the Free Publishing Tips Hour, and the co-host, Warrior's Queen, Sephora Thelman, is lead facilitator. I am handing the microphone to her, and she is going to host at this time. All righty. Thank you, Save the Page Poets. And what I say to the audience, Asta Anoye Nigadan. Good evening, everybody. I am Warriors Queen Zipporah Thelman, co-hostess for the exceptional Scribble Show, and I am ready to start the free publishing information hour, which you will find useful whether for publishing, whether self-publishing or traditional publishing. And I'm going to do something different, and I'm going to start... When I get to the publishing information, I'm going to start with something different. Now, tonight I'm going to do the usual, which is first starting with my writing advice and discoveries, which is one, which are the following four pieces, rather. Number one, passion has persistence. Number two, brainstorming slash free writing is writing within itself. Number three, strength grows in the moments when you think you can't go on, but you keep going anyway. Martin Lawrence quote. And number four, art should comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. Caesar Cruz quote. I will now take questions and comments for the four pieces of my writing advice and discoveries. Well, um, if you could just start with just restating the first one that you gave, and then we'll have uh, comments in response to sure. that. Like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Number one, passion has persistence. Would you like to elaborate? And then I'll just chime in if necessary. But I want to hear your uh, commentary on that statement first. Sure. When you're passionate about a thing, it's going to work with you, and it's going to give you that high drive to do what you love. And so it's that persistence is the key word. And as the, you know, as it is said, you know, when you want something, you have to be persistent with it. Okay, I do agree. Affirmative. Mm -hmm. I concur. And I'm sure snaps are in order because everything that you said, I would have said just maybe a little different, but we're on the same page. You can go on to the yeah. second advice. All right, number two. Brainstorming slash free writing is writing within itself. 
Now, um, say that once again, because what happened was sometimes when you speak uh, and the, the rate of speed by which you're speaking, it can make it a little difficult for someone to cipher what you're saying towards the ending part. So if you can just say it again and just at a slower pace. For everyone, I don't want anyone to not hear you clearly because you're saying a lot of good things, and I want people to write this down. So if you can just kind of say it a little more slowly, so people can follow and write it down, that would be much appreciated. Thanks. All right. Number two, brainstorming slash free writing is writing within itself. So brainstorming plus free writing is writing within itself. Am I restating your statement yeah. correctly? That I like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Brainstorming plus free writing is writing. Um, and that's the truth. I mean, you can't get no more concrete than that as for what writing truly so I I just have to say it, it's writing in a nutshell your definition given is writing in a nutshell and it is that brainstorming if a person is a thinker and I always could say that about many writers that I know personally, they were thinkers and brainstorming mm-hmm. what thinkers do quite often. Sometimes you, you're not even paying attention to the fact that's what it is you're doing, but that's what it is that you're doing. Um, and it's so essential because when we're writing, we should be cognitive. That's the word, cognitive. Mm-hmm. That means you should have full awareness and your thoughts need to be fluid and you should be focused, cognitive of what it is that you're saying. I mean, if we're not cognitive or, you know, the brainstorming is not done, we'll be writing things on a whim that may not make much sense. And then when we read it back to ourselves, it's like, what? I wrote that. <laughs> when you're brainstorming, you you go back to what you wrote. It's like mm. you write it down, then you refer and you reflect, refer, reflect, and 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 if something's just not making sense, you're gonna change it. Cause it's like whoa, 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 mm-hmm. wait a minute here. If I'm lost, I know somebody else seeing this and reading this is gonna be lost too. Let me restate or rephrase that statement. So, yeah, yeah, I like that. Brainstorming and free writing. And then it is free writing because it's writing is also soulful, meaning it's from within, meaning your emotions are involved. So it is what you feel, too. As well as your your ideas, 
your philosophies, you know, it, it's intellect and intelligence, but it's also free spirited as well. So it is the, the marriage of the two is brainstorming and freestyle or free writing. So I encourage anybody to do it. I mean, writing is something it's good for your soul, your mind, and your spirit. And anything that's good for your soul, your mind, and your spirit, it's also a benefit to your physical state. And a lot of times we go through a lot in our day. And I encourage someone to start doing mm-hmm. the daily journal, right? Just like you're you you work out every day for a set amount of time and there's certain um exercises that you do during that period of time that you set as your workout time so you should have a set amount of time each day that you just write and when you write i mean just dig deep and and try Mm -hmm. to write at least three things that are your highs of the day and three things that are the lows of your day and i guarantee you're going to have a full page if not front and back of one page of writing and it's going to feel good because what we have to learn to do sometimes we suppress our emotions our inner emotions we suppress what we feel and what we think that's not good we need to allow it to flow free we need to allow that which we are inwardly experiencing to have a discharge give it a permit give it permission and allowance to come out and not just stay in because too much in and not enough out you're going to become overwhelmed or clutter can happen and then you can have a meltdown emotionally and you're not wondering you're wondering why well why am i crying why am i just overcome with all these emotions right now because maybe you have a buildup during that week you did not give yourself a chance to discharge a lot of that so every day write in the journal three things that are your highs of that day and just elaborate on why they they're the highs of the day and three things that are the lows in that you're giving yourself a chance to discharge and a release those things that should not be held within. And that's a healthy reflective writing exercise, exercise and activity to do each day. And it will help you breathe better. Because a lot of times we hold so much within, it impacts our breathing, respiration, and we don't even sleep well. And it impacts so many areas of our life that impact our health so writing is key writing is therapeutic there's a lot of healing that comes about in writing and a lot of things people are able to say you ever like really listen to old school songs especially old school blues old school um r&b and even old school pop and country country especially you will hear what I'm saying is true. You're going to hear about their highs and their lows in one song. And by the time you come to the end of the song, you're like, whew, wow, that was something. 
sometimes that's the the that's your sneeze, your um breaking wind, your hiccups, <laughs> and your cough. Mm. You're giving your body a chance to discharge anything that's just not good to host in. And music is another instrument that um another medium by which we can release a lot of things that normally if we hold that stuff in it's going to cause a lot of problems for us physically and we don't need that so definitely writing brainstorming and free writing that freestyle together and 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 i encourage everyone to do that every day you don't have to be a poet to do that it's just journaling daily journaling just give yourself at least 15 to 30 minutes every day where it's nothing on, no radio, no TV. It's just you and that pencil or that pen. pen. And for those that are tech savvy, it's just you and your, your, your electronic pad. But just get it done, get it in. Because it's health. At the end of the day, your health is paramount. And if you're not healthy, you're not going to ever experience being truly wealthy because the two are connected. How can you prosper if you're not prospering in your body first and your soul first as for your health? When your emotions are intact and your spirit is reduced and you're fat, soulfully speaking, then prospering in the material way. That's secondary because you've already prospered within. And that's the way to prosper. Your soul should be prospering first. And then when you prosper in the physical with material, you know what to do with it. It will not govern you. You'll be able to manage it. And that's what's good. That's really what's good. So, yeah, we need to write more. You definitely need to write more. So, Warriorist, now you had four things, right? What was your third one? Yeah. All right. So, the third one is uh, number three. Strength grows in the moment when you think you can't go on but you keep going anyway. Martin Lawrence quote. Wow, I love, and Martin Lawrence quote? All right, Martin Martin Lawrence, Lawrence yes. <laughs> hey, hey. I love that though, we need to get, say that again. Say that again. Sure. Say that again. Sure. Quote, strength grows in the moments when you think you can't go on but you keep going anyway, end quote. Martin Lawrence. Man, that's some real deep water in your soul mm -hmm. truth. I love that. I love that. Would you like to elaborate on that word, Miss Queen? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, actually, I mean, there's really nothing to say, but what I can make of it is uh, what Martin was talking about is that um in other words say you you're going on anyway and that you're going against opposition you're going against 
the opposition and by you keep moving forward, that for, that forward movement is the strength, you know, for you to keep going. That just popped into my head, the realization. <laughs> you know what? It put me in mind of there was this, and my father grew up in the southern states. He was definitely not city-born mm-hmm. and bred and raised. And then they migrated, my grandmother with, my father and his mm-hmm. sisters migrated up north. And so I'm city. I'm definitely all city. But I love mm-hmm. visiting the southern states and being around my family that have the strong, deep southern roots. So my father mm-hmm. said to me, as for water, he said, you know how water purifies itself? And I remember asking me that when I was mm-hmm. a little kid. Like, water purifies itself? Okay. So he said, well, you see all the rocks? And he said, as long as water runs, as it's running or moving, it's purifying itself. And the rocks are collecting all of those bacteria and those things that are not good that's in the water. Mm. He gave me that food for thought. That was a pearl wisdom as a child. And I never forgot that. He said, as long as water is running, it's moving, not stagnant. It's purifying itself. And I mm-hmm. equate that with me or my soul. As long as I'm running, as long as I'm doing, as long as I'm productive and I'm active and I'm doing things and doing it in, in an order that's respectful to my maker, my environment, my community, nature itself, I'm purifying myself in the things that I'm doing. It's a way of cleansing. It's an inward cleansing now. Because when you're doing things that are just, you're refining your own soul. All of the negativity, you're you're saying, no, I ain't got time for you. I'm not letting you in. I'm not mm-hmm. giving you permission. I'm not giving you a place to mingle or interact or be a part of who I am. You know, I'm on a mission. I'm about doing something that's just. I have a destination. And like water, it, it, it's running. It has a destination to reach. And that's divine order. And it's a natural law that it's a, the water goes from the sea into the ocean. Yeah, the river. So, I think so it's the it's river from, that goes out into the ocean. Yeah, the river into the yeah. sea. And then there's that cycle, yeah. you know, the cycle that it goes through with condensation, evaporation, and all, and precipitation. So even as water has a cycle, we have a cycle to take on. There's things by nature that we should be doing. And when we're doing those things, that's keeping us just or keeping us right. So, you know, I was so grateful that I received that pearl wisdom at a young age because I was able to apply it in my life throughout life and often reflect on it. You know, things that are moving steady in motion are not stagnant. So they purify themselves. So never allow yourself to be stagnant. For growth sake, 
we need to always flow and to move. And like that old wisdom, you know, that old folk wisdom where the elders would say things like, you know, go with the flow. I know you don't understand it, mm-hmm. baby, but you'll understand it by and by. Just go with the flow. You know, you got to start picking up on that wisdom in your life and realize these are pearls of wisdom. These are the real riches. If I start collecting them and and applying them in my life, they're going to enrich me. I'm going to be empowered. I'm going to be exactly who I was sent here to be, and I'll be able to fulfill the mission I was sent here to fulfill. So, yeah, it's so important. It's so important. It's so important. Always have those ears to hear, especially when you're amongst your elders. Always have ears to hear what it is that they have to impart to you because it's needful. It's always needful. Uh, well, Warriors, and what do you have next that you would like to share? All right, and then the final advice that I'm sharing, which is number four, is, quote, art should comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable, end quote. Caesar Cruz. And say that again, because towards the end, you kind of, the words kind of came close together. Oh, sorry. Sure. Quote, art should comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. End quote. Caesar Cruz. Okay. Something to disturb and disturb the comfortable. Art, was it art? Yes, art. A-R-T, mm-hmm. like the subject art. Mm-hmm. I agree to that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that saying art imitates life, it's mm-hmm. a reason for yeah. that saying. It is a reason for that saying, and it's a good reason. Um, the author that saying um, declared it because it's truth. A lot of what we see in art, all it is is testifying of what we see. Art mm-hmm. is like a reflection of what's in its mirror called life. Life is the mirror and art is the reflection. Oh, now I done, now I done created it. <laughs> you want to get that? I'm going to get that, that posted on my wall now. <laughs> I'm on Facebook. I'm ready to post it on my wall now. Art is the limit. Life is the mirror. Art is the reflection. Mm. I like that. <laughs> I'm going to say stage. <laughs> mm-hmm. I even put art yep. in the reflection of its truth. Go ahead. Go ahead, Sage. Got mm-hmm. it. You got it. Ah, Sage. 
the page. <laughs> yes, I had it. <laughs> hey, see, this is the kind of thing. This is why people need to tune in to the free publishing tips hour. We usually have it beginning at 9 p.m. till 10, but because we had the special edition exclusive two-hour interview, we had to wait to have it um, to begin at a different time, which was 10 tonight. But let me say this, 10.33, I want everybody to look that number up for its meaning. Um, 10.33, that is the exact time right now. But when you get a chance, go do a Google search under that number, 10.33, and get back to me if you can, if you will. You can message via Facebook, um, or you can go to The Exceptional Scribble Show on Facebook. That's the title of our fan page, The Exceptional Scribble Show, and you will find it there. I kid you not, there's some deep meaning with that number. Matter of fact, mm. I'm getting ready to share. I'm getting ready to share it because I, I, I definitely want people to know numbers don't lie is a very old saying. Mm. I did not author mm. it. I cannot take credit for it. It was out before I was born, but numbers do have significance okay pay attention especially when you notice certain numbers keep coming up every time you wake up at a certain time it's, it's certain numbers on the clock and i'm talking about for those that wake up and it's just rather abrupt not you woke up because the alarm clock went off and <laughs> you were supposed to mm -hmm. wake up but for those that you're finding you're waking up and it's a certain hour, a certain time, listen, listen. In the spirit, okay, you're being summoned to awaken. You don't know why. We never know why. But wake up, take a moment, clear or clean the air. That means take some time if you gotta say sacred verses out loud. Um, say your prayer, have a form of meditation time, whether you hum, some people drum and hum, or you have a positive affirmation that you say three times. But you are being summoned and it's the spirit realm. It's not earthly, it's spiritual. And there's a message. Don't forget that. And I'm saying this, I know somebody needed to hear it to, tonight. I'm saying this with purpose. And it's divine counsel you're hearing from me. But numbers mean a lot. And the numbers don't lie, that is the truth. So when you're seeing numbers a lot, um, waking up and it's a certain time, every time, oh my goodness, if something happens, sounds or whatever, Write things down too. Start recording them. What time did this smell or aroma um, manifest? What time was it when you woke up? You know, she keep waking up and it's always this time. 
pay attention to the numbers, look them up. Because it's something you should know. And I'm going to share, um, and this is about 1033. Because um, it's just really, it just stood out with me. And I felt kind of like chills. It was just really strange. Um, when I saw the number, it was like my eyes just went right to that number. Um, but we need to be aware that the numbers don't lie and they do have meaning. And I'm not talking about numerology per se, but I'm talking about numbers, meanings associated with them. Some people refer to them as vibrations and energy, which we know represents spirit. Um, I do believe angels, all of that. It's in operation. Everything is by divine inspiration and also order and numbers are involved. So the number 1033. And this is what came up when I looked it up just now. Um, it's telling you to believe in yourself because the divine forces have complete trust in you. This is referred to as an angel number. And it says it appears in your life when you get completely depressed about the situation you are in. Sometimes life gives us lemons. We have, okay, you know that. We have to make tasty lemonade with it. But your guardian angels will always be there to support you and to offer help no matter what happens. Now, it's saying for number 1033, <clears throat> It's telling you that your guardian angels are completely supporting you with all the power they possess. And I hope someone out there that's hearing this is much encouraged because I know it's really encouraging me. Um, the number will help you regain confidence in yourself and help you fight against all problems in life. So there's a certain energy that emanates with that number, a certain vibration. Um, and this is all spirit energy we're talking about, okay? We're not talking about making potions and drinking it, no. <laughs> that's, that's a different type of science. Oh, that's a science too. That's a science too. And there's mm, also a place for that. We talk about the healing uh, properties in herbs, but right now we're dealing with that which the numbers emanate, the energy, the good vibrations and all. Now, also it says it will help you regain confidence in yourself and help you fight against all problems in life. No matter what you are going through, your guardian angels will try to make things better. When we are not sure about something ourselves, it is always good to have support from divine forces. And that's why I spoke a little about the need, when you're seeing the numbers, go into prayer. Okay, that's humbling your spirit to the divine. Okay, those spirits that are great. The creator has those good spirits at work, like the guardian angels, those angels, those ministering spirits. Okay, 
I'm only talking about the ministers of light here. I'm not referring to anything dark and sinister. <laughs> um, I know Halloween is getting closer and you got a lot out there as for the atmosphere right now because there are those that are summoning certain types of energies and spirits mm -hmm. to manifest because, you know, there's that evil that's always present. But I'm referring to that mm -hmm. which is good in the universe, that which is good in the atmosphere, in the hemisphere, in the stratosphere, and in every sphere, um, and the celestial sphere. So we're talking about those spirit beings that are of light, those that do good, that help us, that heal us. Um, they want us to know tonight, you're on a spiritual path, one of illumination. It is pushing you to lead a life of confidence and hope. Be assured of all the grace and guidance of the angels and whatever you want to achieve. So that means believe in yourself and also believe in the higher power, believe in the divine creator, to believe in redemption of your soul. You have that. And, and the atonement that was manifest for that. And note that you're not alone. I think sometimes we find ourselves in situations that we may sense that, wow, I'm being overwhelmed right now with emotion. Wow, I'm feeling like the walls are starting to close. I'm really feeling a lot of pressure. I don't mm -hmm. like pressure. Um, take that time and just breathe in. You can do it with me now through your nostril, breathe out through your mouth. Slowly breathe in through your nostrils. Breathe out your mouth slowly. Say, I am confident. Breathe in through your nostrils. Breathe out through your mouth. Say, I am guided by my guardian angels. Breathe in through your nose. Breathe out through your mouth. I am well surrounded and divinely protected by my creator. Breathe through your nose and breathe out through your mouth. All is well within. All is well outwardly. All is well within. All is well outwardly. All is well within. All is well outwardly. What you have just done in it three times is you have sealed your fate and your past and your present, and you have done so with a blessing. Now, three times. Three means. What does three mean? Some might ask. Spiritually speaking. Remember, we're talking about spiritually, um, spiritual meaning now. Spiritual meaning of three. This is what it says. The hidden meaning. Kindness, joy, creativity, and imagination. It represents inspiration, creation, manifestation, and growth. It symbolizes the interconnectedness of your body, mind, and spirit. 
and is carefully aligned with the divine energy. Hmm. So what have we plugged into? Our source. When you say things three times, you affirm it mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and that's soulfully. All three. So start saying things in threes. That's a positive affirmation. Start saying things in threes. I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. Remember what it does? You are carefully aligned with the divine when you do it. Don't you want to be carefully aligned with the divine? And you can say that three times. I am carefully aligned with the divine. I am carefully aligned with the divine. I am carefully aligned with the divine. By the time you have spoken it on the third time, you have literally linked soulfully and spiritually with your source. And you have disengaged from anyone or anything that's negative. When you say, I am carefully aligned with the divine, that's a positive affirmation. I'm sharing that now as well. And I definitely encourage anybody, I am carefully aligned with the divine. That is where you are to stay. And remember, positive affirmations always begin a positive affirmation with two words. I am. Why? Because I am means I affirm. I agree. I concur. And whenever you agree, then the powers that are, they can manifest and do what needs to be done. There is a power that can only manifest when you're in agreement. So that's why it's important. Positive affirmations always begin with I am. I am carefully aligned with the design. That is a positive affirmation. Please try and incorporate that into your daily diet. If you can say it in the morning three times, say it in the afternoon at some point, three times and say it at the end of the day before you're sleeping three times, you have stilled yourself within the divine accord to be one with your maker. And that should be an ultimate goal, something we strive to do daily and something that we do, just do. And I do want to, um, Warrior's Queen, we have about 10 minutes. So anything else that you would like to share 
Um, you are welcome to do so within that time. Sure, because I'm going to move into the next section, which is publishing information. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start off with a, um, I feel it's uh, important what you and I had discussed earlier. Yes. And it's about self-publishing and traditional publishing. So okay. I just have this one straight to the point uh, information. Myself for traditional publishing, research and decide which one helps you. Mhm. Mhm. Yep, and that's it. That's it for the about the traditional and the self-publishing. And right, now I'm going to move on to articles. And I just have one, and it's titled "11 Ways to Block an Energy Vampire." And the website is powerofpositivity.com. Forward slash. All right, here's the article. An energy vampire or psychic vampire literally feeds off the energies of those around them, attempting to drain their host of all his or her energy. Energy vampires must feed off the energies of others in order to survive. They may not mean to act this way, but they have relied on other people's energies for so long that they don't know how to create their own energy. An energy vampire represents someone who feels vulnerable and lost and doesn't feel capable of surviving on their own. They also may not feel motivated enough to increase their own vibration, so they take the lowering the energies of those around them in order to boost their frequency. Sometimes an energy vampire can conceal their ulterior motives quite well, but in general, they stand out like a sore thumb. Now you know why happy, vibrant people tend to attract those with selfish motives. Energy vampires have such a low vibration that the only way they can survive is to drain other people of their abundant energy levels. In today's society, you have likely encountered energy vampires many times, you may not have known how to best deal with them in order to shield yourself from their energy draining tactics. Next time you come across an energy vampire in the flesh, try these tips to ensure that you block out their harmful energy. Number one, meditate daily. One of the best ways to protect yourself from emotional manipulation lies within yourself. When you meditate, you go deep within and channel the energy of the universe into your body, which will provide you with the energy you need to raise your vibration. This way, the energy vampires can't possibly steal any of your energy because meditation will teach you to become more tolerant of various energy levels. Meditation literally changes your brain and allows you to deal with reality much easier. As you tap into more of your own spiritual powers, You won't allow other people's energy to drag you down. Number two, smile at them. You might think this one sounds a bit crazy, but when you share a smile with another person, you automatically share a positive vibration with them. This will throw the energy vampire off as they won't expect someone to respond to them this way. Energy vampires normally feel threatened 
in the presence of others who carry a high vibration, either out of jealousy or other negative emotions. So to combat the energy vampires is draining vibes. Simply share a smile with them and let them know that you don't judge them for their behaviors. Rather, you want to see them happy and healthy so a smile can help them head in the right direction. Number three, don't engage in conversation with them. On the other hand, if you tried helping them already and shared your positive energy but they won't respond to your attempts, then you have to stop contact with them if possible. Some energy vampires don't realize their actions, but for those who do, they will relentlessly try to steal your energy. If this happens, all you can do is to avoid them, if at all possible, as they only have negative intentions with you. This might seem a bit cold and heartless, especially if the energy vampire is a close friend or family member, but you can't lift everyone up forever. At some point, they have to take responsibility for their own energy, lives, and emotions. Number four, repeat positive affirmations while in their presence. Affirmations such as, quote, I am a whole, vibrant, positive being of light, end quote, or, quote, nothing outside myself can bring me down, end quote, can really help you when you're surrounded by energy vampires. Simply channeling in that positive energy will lift your spirits when others want to bring you down. Number five, shine so brightly that their negativity doesn't weigh you down. While psychic vampires live to take other people's energy, not all of them realize their actions. Some of them may just need love and support and have lashed out at others out of desperation or anger. In a short excerpt from Dr. Judith Orloff, New York Times bestseller, Emotional Freedom, Liberate Yourself from Negative Emotions and Transform Your Life, she says, some are overbearing and obnoxious, others are friendly and charming. For example, you're at a party talking to a perfectly nice person, but suddenly you're nauseous or weak. Or how about the co-worker who drones on about how she broke up with her boyfriend for the 10th time? For the 10th time? Eventually she feels better, but you're spent. The bottom line is that on a subtle energy level, these people suck you dry, end quote. To combat this, remember that some people you encounter have just had a bad day. This does not make them a malicious, negative person whose goal in life is to just ruin, is just to ruin other people's vibrations. All of us can lend a helping hand to other people, so why not try to understand their situation and offer them some support instead of automatically labeling them as a negative person? Number six, attempt to help them. Like we said before, energy vampires have simply gotten a bit lost in their path and might need help in getting back on track. Whatever you can do to lend them a hand, do it, whether that means listening to them, offering to help out with some of their responsibilities for a short time, or referring them to a professional who can better serve them. We all are one big family and have an obligation to help each other during tough times. Energy vampires are just people like you and I who just need a little extra guidance. Number seven, Cleanse your aura. After encountering an energy vampire, don't forget to re-energize and cleanse your energy. How to do this? 
well, for starters, make sure you meditate and ask the universe for healing energy after the encounter. Next, you could burn some sage or your favorite license, I mean, sorry, I mean, incense, to clear the air and lighten the energy of yourself in the room you're in. Also, take care of your physical body. Get some sunlight, eat a light, healthy diet, bathe with Epsom salt, and most importantly, practice self-love every single day. Number eight, keep your vibration high. As we've already touched on before, you must keep your energy levels high in order to block out the energy vampires' attempts at stealing your energy. To do this, take care of your mental, physical, and emotional health by practicing self-care and self-love. Meditate, exercise, eat healthy, nurture your relationships, get enough sunlight and rest, and eliminate unnecessary stress from your life. Number nine, don't attempt to feel sorry for them. Energy vampires want attention and recognition, but don't fall into their trap. They prey on empathic people, empathic people, because they know that empaths are easy targets, but you must not feel sorry for them. They create their own reality, and they have chosen a low vibrational one. If they try to drag you into their pity party, either walk away change the subject, or respond with honesty about the situation. You don't have to feel responsible for everyone's happiness. A good life begins with positive thoughts, which they must learn how to have on their own. Number 10, eat a healthy diet. One of the best ways to protect your energy levels is to provide your body and mind with the nutrients they need to thrive. Eat a whole food, plant-based diet for optimum physical and mental health and make sure to fuel your body with enough calories to sustain you throughout the day. While energy vampires do feed off of those with high energy levels, it will do you no good to have a low vibration either. They want you to have a reduced energy because it makes them feel better about operate on such a low frequency, but this won't give you a happy, fulfilling life. In order to live your best life, look after your health and diet, as this will look Pardon me, as this will help you become better equipped with, to deal with those who just want to suck your energy dry. And uh, spend plenty of time recharging. Finally, don't forget to spend time alone, just cleansing yourself of negative energy and replenishing yourself. Spending time with energy vampires can really get exhausting after a while, and unfortunately, many of them walk among us. Take time each day to meditate practice yoga, exercise, listen to music, cook or bake, work in the garden, or whatever helps you to restore your energy. The end of this article, I will now take questions and comments for it. Well, as for a comment, I just want to thank you. It was very informative. The article spoke truth on many levels. And it's now, I'm looking at the time, it is 11. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we're going to wrap up, but we will be back for our listening audience. Don't forget, we are a weekly broadcast. We will be back on next Tuesday, 8 o'clock p.m. sharp. And listen, we have some prizes in store for you. You don't want to miss out. Mm-hmm. Yep.
So at this time, we're closing out tonight's broadcast. I want to say a special thank you to Boyerous Queens of Port Thelman. Awesome, awesome job, as always. Mm. And thank you for that article about um, how to, we need to know how to um, prevent ourselves from falling victim to energy vampires because there's more energy vampires um, that are exercising their abilities and they are Mm -hmm. amongst us and sometimes we're ignorant of the fact until we're we're victim and we start having these symptoms Mm -hmm. for so thanks for making you awareness you heightened awareness and what awareness to the Mm -hmm. truth that they do exist and we are victim to them so i want to thank you for that and we're going to keep ourselves um on guard thank you mm-hmm. thank you all you're right welcome, well, this, you're welcome at this time we're going to say good night to everyone if you're in a francophone or french speaking province bonnie nui and <laughs> uh you know we just want everybody to have a blessed evening And if you're on the road, drive safely. Please drive safely. And for those that are walking about in the streets, have something, some form of light, whether it's a flashlight or something, because so much happens at night under the the guise of darkness. So we need to keep ourselves um, protected, everybody. Peace and love and many blessings. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.